and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Cults Coffee and Conversation. My name is Carl. And I'm Holly. I'd like to welcome you to another edition uh, to our wonderful journey. Well, I won't say wonderful, but interesting journey down MLab. This is episode three. And uh, we're going to, of course, get into the successor of Jack Hiles. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and cover a few bases here. First of all, we are just regular people. This is for entertainment purposes only. If you do not like it, that's okay. You don't have to like it. You don't have to continue on with the the podcast. You can just not listen anymore. But if you do, welcome back. And I hope you enjoy. We are here to discuss, like I said, uh, cults. We talk about coffee. And of course, we have a conversation about it. But uh, before we get into uh, the more details of our topic of conversation for today. Holly, what are you drinking today? Today I am drinking my Corducio, one of my favorites. Mmm, of course I'm having a cappuccino. Keep it Italian, baby. Mmm. <laughs> Shout out to you, Anne Heather. Ooh. Okay. So, if, uh, like I said, leave some feedback with us. Let us know how you feel. Let us know what you think. Of course, give us five stars. If you're looking for, or if you're trying to find where we're reached at, we're on Stitcher, we're on Anchor, well, thank you, Anchor, because they're the one who's giving us this platform. But uh, we're also anything, we're anywhere you can find a podcast. We're on in that, we're in that pink icon. iTunes, yeah, we're iTunes, iTunes. Google Play, Google Play. You name it, we're on it. Okay. If you have any issues, or if you know anyone who has any issues and they can't contact us, please contact us and let us know. Now, of course, we have our fan book, Facebook fan page. Colts Coffee Conversation. Of course, we have our Instagram at Colts Coffee Convo. And of course, our Twitter account at Colts Coffee Con 1. And then we have Colts Coffee Convo at gmail.com. That is our email address. Yes, and if you would like to record a message to us, you can do that easily on your voice recorder on your iPhone. And then send it off to Colts Coffee Convo at gmail.com. That's right. Okay. So let's get into it. Talking about Jack Kyle's successor. Now, as you guys remember in the previous episode we do apologize for the length it was very long we covered 30 plus years of ministry and family and course controversy and all that but we did the best we could with the time that was allotted but we were able to get through it but now we're moving past that yes we're moving past that now of course we're talking about the successor and the successor's name is jack scop jack scop okay so let's talk about jack scop of course he was born october 1st 1957 in holland michigan I guess his mother had an accident, I guess, when she was young. Yes, when she was 15 years old, she had an automobile accident that left her unable, the doctors said, to have children. That's correct. So, but guess what happened? She had children. She had two, to be exact. Yes, she did. A son and a daughter. We're talking about the son. Okay, so the father, he was a deacon in the pastor, and the mom, she was the organist. How this all came about for her son, Jack Scott, to be called into the ministry. There's a story that was told on his biography, his official biography. He had attended a Jack Van Empe crusade, which we had talked about before. Mm-hmm. Now, he's the one that talks all about the end times, about the tribulation, and how everyone's going to be tossed into the lake of fire if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So he was worried about a couple of his friends, and he wanted to talk to them about it. Now he's in high school. He's real nervous about it. Well, it comes to find out that both friends informed him that they had accepted Christ. So he was really relieved that evening. He jumped into bed. I'm going to have a great night's sleep. Well, that wasn't to be. 
He couldn't sleep, and he got out of bed, fell to his knees, and he began to pray. And according to him, the love of God flowed over him as he prayed in his bedroom that night, and the light of the Holy Spirit illuminated the room. Sometime that night, the call of God to preach became very obvious, and Jack Scott surrendered to that very definite call during the wee hours of the morning. When he shared that with his mother... She told him that she had been praying for him to be a preacher ever since her accident as a 15-year-old girl. Now, obviously, he wasn't born yet, but the conversation with God may have gone, well, Lord, if you allow me to have a son, I pray that he will become a preacher. Mm. Awesome. So, of course, as a youth, he his youth pastor encouraged him to attend Pillsbury Baptist College. Pillsbury Baptist Bible College. Pillsbury Baptist Bible College. In Minnesota. In Minnesota, that is correct. Now, the thing is, is that he only was there for a year and a half. Then he leaves Pillsbury Baptist Bible College. And you mentioned something in regard. Yeah, I recall a story that I read. While attending Pillsbury, he was accused of of having wildfire, quote-unquote. Now, I'm not sure what that wildfire is because I, I think it was more or less a little bit more aggressive confession of sin and firing up the young men to mm-hmm. surrender to preach. Or, I'm not exactly sure what this wildfire was, but it was something that the college there did not really want to have continue. Right. His home pastor had originally had him go to Pillsbury but then I don't we don't know why but there was a change of pastors mm-hmm. and the new pastor was a Hiles Anderson College graduate mm-hmm. so he encouraged Jack Scott to attend Hiles Anderson College and this was in I believe 1977 in January that he went over there mm. and obviously he had some contacts because he was a graduate so Jack Scott was welcomed there Right, so, well, after uh, some unusual experiences, which we've had uh, debate in regards to this, uh, he met and started dating Cindy Hiles, who's the youngest daughter uh, of Jack Hiles. Yes. Now, the unusual experiences, uh, my belief is... Well, let's go on to the next sentence. um, Basically, uh, (laughs) what happened was, well, he met her six weeks into college, six weeks there, and after about two dates, he felt that God will, basically, they're going to become life mates. It's God's Yeah, they will. were both convinced that they had found God's will for their life's mate. Mm-hmm. Now, that's interesting sure. after two dates, but in that, I'll just say this, because I've been in a Bible college. <laughs> it's a big, frantic thing to try to find somebody to marry, okay? And you get all emotional and everything and you spiritualize things he may have they just may have had that connection right away but i don't know what your perspective would be carl they did something naughty got caught and then they put him under the gun perhaps that's how i feel well i'm also kind of thinking that jack scop as we'll find out later the type of person that he is Mm -hmm. that he pretty much picked out cindy after six weeks and Spoke decided he wanted to pursue her, which he did. Right. He's able to 
lead her into a relationship with him because that's his personality. Mm-hmm. And she was uh, naive. She was, you know, brought up at First Baptist Church all her life. But he was exciting to her, I'm sure. And she was a freshman and he was already two years ahead. All right. So that's my theory. Mm. Nice theory. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a different one, but I'm not going to express it. So well, far, you did. Well, no. Also, well, as far as her naivete, I don't buy because what's going on in her own house, which we've discussed in the previous episode. Well, that's true. I, I, you know, these are all things that are suppositions, opinions. We don't have any real facts. No real facts, but that's that's yeah, that's how we feel. All right. So, anyway, so he graduates in May of 1978 with a bachelor's degree, and then he got his master's a year later in 1979 in May. But then in June 1st of 79, him and Cindy got married. So five years later, he became an assistant to the president of Hiles Anderson College. And then two years later after that, he is the vice president of Hiles Anderson College. So he's looks like, in our perspective, well, at least mine, is that he's working, he's married his way into... It's know, actually into the uh, hierarchy, Yeah. into the royal family, quote-unquote. Right. Of fundamentalism. Yeah, that's what that's what And I'm, he's working his way up in positions. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, so he's doing that for a while. Of course on you know, on February sixth of two thousand one, Doctor Jack Hiles passes away. And we've discussed that in the previous episode. Now, real quick, he they found us they found a successor in him. Uh, he was voted Mar in March seventh. Of that same year, 2001, he was voted in as the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Hangman, Indiana, with a 96% vote in favor. And so, now during his pastoralship, he had a bunch of ministries grow. Yes, and so um, I'll just just go over a few of the things that he, as he took the church reins, he was able to double the attendance. Now, looking back on the decade of the 1990s after the scandal that Hiles went through, evidently it did hurt his attendance. Mm -hmm. Jack Scopp was able to double the average weekly attendance. And in so doing, he wanted to build a new auditorium. Mm. Now, the auditorium that I visited seemed plenty big. But, you know, he thought, no, we needed something bigger. So they built a new 7,500 seat auditorium and they saw over 25,000 converts baptized. Hmm. Also, while he was there, he started a lot of new ministries. Mm -hmm. A lot of the ministries, one of them was a drug rehab kind of ministry, which they didn't have. They used to have the mission, which would be, you know, the skid row kind of ministry. But this was more or less probably more on this the type of AA kind of ministry and they started a ministry to the public school teens that wasn't just Sunday school there was three nationwide conferences that they held every year Hmm. one was pastor school which we had discussed discussed before before. Mm -hmm. the other one was the youth conference Hmm. okay and that's every July Mm -hmm. in um the fall there was the Christian womanhood spectacular hmm. so these are the three and he kept them going he would speak all over the United States uh, in different conferences and churches and he was the new heir apparent well actually he was the heir of the king of fundamentalism right. so he took it from his father-in-law mm-hmm. it was 
evident in that church that he was groomed and ready to go for their new pastor all along. Right. Okay. So, well, during this time, there's also a a financial situation that the, the church got themselves into. Now, do you know more about this? Yes, I do. Yeah, so go ahead. In 2006, Jack Scopp hired a man named Thomas Kimmel to provide one-on-one financial counseling at the church. Now, this Thomas Kimmel wasn't a new person to the congregation. He had been around during Dr. Hiles' era. He was a known person. Mm -hmm. But he actually hired him on, and he wanted him to provide financial services for the membership of that church. And what he said, it would he would invest their money, they would get more money as a return, and then they could not only get more money for their retirement, but they could also give more money to the church. So it's like a twofold right. bonus. Mm-hmm. Thomas Kimmel began urging church members to invest their money in a company called Shoreline Acceptance Corp. And he told everyone it was a Christian-run organization that operated car lots and helped finance cars in a subprime market. Okay, now subprime is people who cannot afford a loan at the normal rates. They go into these other programs, Mm -hmm. okay? He also told them that he himself, Thomas Kimmel, invested $450,000 with the company and that also Jack Scopp had invested a million dollars into this company. Of course, these people would say, wow, okay, that's a big vote of confidence. Yeah, Because why would those smart men uh, invest in something that wasn't going to get a good return? This is what really was going on. Pastor Jack Scopp received a 1% commission on each First Baptist Church parishioner's investment. And Mr. Kimmel received a 10% commission. Okay, so if you invested every $100,000 that you invest, Thomas Kimmel would get 10000 of that, and Jack Scopp would get 1000 of that. They're enriching themselves. That's right, $11,000 right there, right off the top. Mm-hmm. Also, what was told these parishioners was, get your money out of your annuity. So an annuity is something that you buy, and over a period of time, it gives you a payment, okay, for 20 years. Well, if you want to get it out early, you get a 6% penalty. So if you put in $100,000 into an annuity and it's before the time of surrender, which is usually six to eight years, you have a penalty of 6%. That means you have to pay $6,000 to get out of that $100,000 annuity. Hmm. And they would tell them, well, go ahead, do that, because if you get a 12% on our Shoreline Acceptance Corporation, that will be nothing in a matter of time. So all these people would take all these penalties, put it into this. So this is very bad. They did not disclose their commissions, which is against the law. Okay, David Gibbs, he's another person I think we've talked about before. A little bit. He is a Christian law association. Well, he is an attorney for the church, and he warned Kimmel and 
SCOP, they might be violating Indiana law since these were unlicensed securities and the parishioners were largely unsophisticated investors. And they didn't listen to them. Mm. People started be getting their their regular interest payments on their investments, so everything was good. It got signaled that, okay, I did the right thing. I invested in this company. Well, what they didn't realize was those payments were actually coming out of the newer investments into the program. And in other words, they had no idea this was a Ponzi scheme. Mm. Okay? So, in a nutshell, early people that get in, then they get paid from the people later on. But eventually it falls apart. It's, like a, it's called a pyramid scheme also. It falls apart because you stop getting people to invest. Well, in January 2012, Shoreline sent a correspondence informing all the clients that they weren't able to make their interest payments that month. And they blamed it on the new regulations. It's called the Dodd-Frank Act, and that is not true. Okay, that was a lie, but these people are, are unsophisticated investors. Right. Well, ultimately, it did fall apart. There was not enough new investor money, and so everybody lost all their money. Mm. So if you invested your... And these people, they're investing from 200000 to 400000 and that's usually what you would assume came out of a 401k plan right. or something of that nature. That was their entire nest egg, gone. okay, that's gone. Mr. Kimmel was not licensed to provide financial advisory services or act as a seller of securities. Wow. He was ultimately sentenced in 2014 to 22 years in prison and ordered to pay more than $16.5 million in restitution after being convicted in federal court. Wow. I have big problems with this is because Jack Scott took commissions off of this. This is totally illegal. Right. So Totally illegal. It was a scam from the beginning and Jack Scott was in on it. Now, I don't believe that David Gibbs didn't have a long conversation with Jack Scop about this. Right. And, you know, Jack Scop's not stupid in that respect, maybe in other ways, but this is pretty cut and dry. Right. And now I'm thinking, well, he didn't have much care for the people in his church, that he was willing to take a little bit off the top and they lost everything. Well, if you take six, was it sixteen point five million? What's one percent of that? One hundred sixty-five grand. Right? Yeah. There you go. But he's putting his own congregation to the slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. And doesn't care. No, he doesn't care. No. Okay. All right. Well, enough of the Ponzi scheme. <laughs> enough of the Ponzi scheme. <laughs> but that's not the only controversial thing that happened during during his tenure. Now, this is the date of infamy, is what we call it. Okay. Uh, it was July 25th, 2012. Of course, obviously it's July. It's during the youth conference. Yes, it is. During the youth conference. He leaves a cell phone on the pulpit mm-hmm. after doing, you know, if you've seen the, the YouTube videos of it, he's, you know, always teaching from, from, from that pulpit, obviously. He leaves a cell phone on the pulpit. Now, a staff member, we don't know if it was a deacon or a staff. It was a person who is a paid member of the church. Well, yeah, uh, they had access to the pulpit. They had access to mm-hmm. it, so it's not like it's just some standard random Correct. Person. It wasn't just somebody. Yes, exactly. Yes. He Once he picks up the phone, he sees a message with the photo of a young girl and Scop kissing. 
Okay. Okay. So the phone, now we don't know what happened to the phone where how it was turned in, given to, we don't know whom specific, but it was turned in and it wasn't given to Jack Scott. No. No, it wasn't. So, of course, he was confronted. Obviously, when he found out, when he was confronted, he held a six-hour meeting. Now, with his pastoral with his, staff. With his whole entire pastoral staff. Now, of course, he denied everything. And he talked about loyalty, always saying loyalty. So this was kind of a playbook out of Jack Hiles' book, you know, because he was always about the loyalty, the loyalty. He the used loyalty. to say, trust me. You need to trust me. This is Jack Hiles would always say, you need to trust me. I'm doing things in your best interest. This is probably where he was going with Yeah, he was with probably, that. probably yeah. doing that. But, of course, different times. Different times. Way different times because technology is a little different. You know? Yes. Can't, you can't hide, can't hide much anymore. Not only that, he fired the staff member because one of the one of I guess the staff. Yeah, one of the staff ended up telling Cindy, his wife, what happened. So now he's gonna have troubles at home. Exactly, because he's trying to do damage control, and that got out. Exactly. Well, of course, he leaves halfway through the youth conference to go on a fishing trip. Unexpectedly. An unexpected. There would trip. be no way he would ever do that any other time and leave the youth conference well uh, just real quick if you take a look on youtube there was him yelling at some of the like the audience like jack hiles yes. would do saying we didn't spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars for you to walk in and out anytime you feel that is correct so he held those conferences and any preaching service very sacred yes and now all of a sudden he takes off exactly the word gets out he left now, the deacons, who obviously are the ones who pretty much held hold the, the accountability. Yes. Mm -hmm. Hold the accountability. Now, they chase him down. They literally start to follow him where he's going. Once they finally got a hold of him, of course, they obviously confronted him about it. Okay, so this happened on a Wednesday that this mm -hmm. was discovered, and the deacons actually confronted him Saturday afternoon. So we're talking... Thursday, Friday, and most of Saturday before they found him. Yeah, because the fishing trip was what in the mid. In, I think it was in New England somewhere. New England. So okay, so it's a few day trip. Yes. Driving. So anyway, he admitted to the relationship and everything that was true. Now, on the thirtieth of July, two thousand twelve, he was officially fired from his position of being the head pastor at First Baptist Church of Hannon in Hammond, Indiana. Now, there's a lot of things that that came out as far as the what was on the phone okay yes after they fired him they did have the wisdom to report this to the sheriff's department the mm. local authorities because right. they weren't sure whether it is criminal or not this uh, young lady was 16 years old they're in a tri-state area they have illinois and they have Indiana's. Indiana, if you look on the map of their actual church, the border to Illinois is like less than two miles. It's a stone throw. Yes. And then this thing that they later uncover happened in Michigan. Okay? Which is... So it's another state. Yeah, but it's also a stone's throw as well. Yeah, not too, too far. Yeah. The authorities start in. They They confiscate the phone. They forensically go through it like they will. And uh, another thing that I guess was uh, Jack Scott had asked one of the church leaders or a deacon or somebody, hey, is there any software 
where I can get this erased off my phone. Mm. He tried to do that. I don't know if it worked or not. Mm. Obviously, it didn't work because they did a forensics on it. They were able to get all the text messages. Now, this is a young lady that was 16 years old. She was in their church school. She was having some trouble. The principal at the time said, you know what, maybe she needs a little more counseling. Can you take her on? And he said yes, and she said fine. And they did initially have a counseling situation, but it got out of hand. All of the texts, they had over 660. They had emails that were very incriminating Mm. to Mr. Jack Scott. Mm -hmm. All of this is actually can be found on the internet Mm -hmm. as public Public knowledge. Yes. Mm -hmm. The uh, photos are not. They are not on the internet. That they found photos of different compromising things. Mm -hmm. And of course, those photos, you know, they do a GPS on the photos. When you take a photo, they know exactly where you are. Yeah. And that's incriminating. Mm-hmm. So all of this was, they built a case against him. Mm. Now, there was also a testimony of one of the church women that had been there 40-some years, which is way into knowing Jack Hiles, and she'd been a faithful member there. I think she might have worked in the office. Mm-hmm. And he had asked her to, through a series of events, to transport the victim, and we're calling her a victim, over to a Michigan. Right. Okay. And they were going to have a girl's time there. She even had her own daughter go with her. There was going to be them. Then he went and uh, met up with the victim in, in Michigan. And he lied to the church woman. Mm-hmm. saying that they were doing these counselings and that she needed special attention. And there was all kinds of things that weren't going right. And the the woman, the church woman, got afraid mm-hmm. and finally said, you just need to bring her back. So he did to them. But all of this would have been a covered up. Okay, she wasn't going to, the church woman wasn't going to say anything. Right. And now we're talking about, the parents didn't know. Mm-hmm. They trusted that their daughter was, you know, being cared for properly. This whole thing with this pulpit and the phone just set an avalanche of evidence mm-hmm. that that came against him. Now, the woman at the church ended up getting immunity mm-hmm. for saying all this, or she would have been also yeah. eligible to go to, 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 to jail. The charge that he got charged with, I don't know the official thing, but it was basically transporting a minor over state lines for sex, Mm -hmm. okay? His excuses for why he did such a thing. Mm. He was overworked Mm -hmm. because of the financial stress of the church. They had to let a lot of people go. He was working many hours. He was very anxious about it. He had started to have health issues, mm. and he said he had, it's called prostasteus or something. He had a problem with his prostate gland, mm-hmm. okay, mm. and a lot of other issues. Well, as the court pointed out, a lot of people have a lot of stress, and they don't do these type of things. Right. 
and if that were the good excuse to to let you go or to reduce a sentence, they would have a lot of people out of jail for these crimes. Okay. Right. He decided to plead deal. Mm-hmm. He didn't want this to come out in court, I imagine, because of the sordidness of it all. Mm-hmm. He wanted to keep his marriage together, his family. He has adult children at this time. Mm-hmm. They also have their own families. Mm-hmm. So he did took a plea deal, and they gave him 12 years. Mm. And it was federal time. Yeah. Now, federal time, you get very little off for good time. It's state time where you can get 50% off. Right. So as time went on, he started thinking about it. He decided to do an appeal. Okay. And he had the excuse he didn't have the right representation. He didn't understand what was going on. And his excuse was because he was growing up in a church bubble. Mm -hmm. He didn't realize that these things were illegal. Mm. Now, let me say that that could have been true that he didn't think it was illegal because in that IFB circle, Mm -hmm. especially Midwest and South, they're very, I don't know if I can say this word properly, but they're, they have a low opinion of women. Let's just put it that way. They're misogynistic. Okay. Okay. So it was sort of a cultural thing that this was not wrong. Right. Especially a 16-year-old. Now, times have changed. They're still pretty... They still have some things that are pretty in some states that are pretty wild. Right. But because he thought it was okay in Indiana and it was okay in Michigan, he actually had her transported over Illinois because they had to go through Illinois. Mm. And that is... 17. Right. So that was the catch right there. Yeah. At first, I'm sure he just thought, well, shoot, I'm going to try to cover it up. Right. Like my predecessor. Mm. Okay. Well, that didn't work because now Cindy knows. Yeah. Okay. So he's trying to batten down the hatches. He braces for it, tries the loyalty speech. Right. Doesn't work. No. Okay. Then he runs away. Finally has to admit it, but he's thought, well, okay, maybe they'll help me cover it up. Yeah, as long as I admit it, yeah. And they didn't Mm. because he was very arrogant. I mean, wildly arrogant. So he probably thought, well, they can't live without me. Well, I don't know. We we don't know. We've been talking about, well, I'm sure they had big meetings about, well, should we keep him? Should we cover it up? What's our risk? You know, they probably had the church attorneys there. I mean, they probably went through all kinds of different scenarios. We'll never know. Right. And they decided we're going to fire him. Yeah, I think my opinion is they just said, you know what? We're not going to have another Jack Hiles situation. We're just going to just take the hits and see what happens. Yes, because it was out. it was coming out there now. Had it been in the 80s, the 70s, even to some of the ni- the early 90s, they did not have these cell phones. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, the iPhone alone has only been around since 2007. Mm-hmm. I got mine in two- the early 2008, and it just seems like we've always had them. Yeah. But not so. No. 
So with all the texts, the emails, the photos, the testimony about the the woman in that you know was the member of the church, it was way more than they could ever cover up. Right. He probably thought, okay, well, I'll go into evangelism. I can become a missionary. These are the thoughts that happen when these IFB pastors fail. And right. I do know of certain pastors that have had failures of moral character, and they did become evangelists, or they did go into the missionary field for three years or so, kind of cleanse you up, and then you can get put back into a ministry. Right. But with all this this digital evidence, well, now we're talking about the authorities. He never would have ever thought that he was going to land in prison for 12 years. Probably not. Yeah, well, he's there. Because of that, we're going to talk about this on our next part, Mm -hmm. about the aftermath. That's correct. His conviction, Mm -hmm. the aftermath of his family, the church, and fundamentalism, or IFB churches. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what we were going to talk about. Yeah, and you can, and when you're speaking about his arrogance. You know, you can take a look at it on YouTube where there's one called The Polished Shaft. This is, is it the, it's the, the Polished Shaft. It's called The Polished Shaft. Uh, it's on YouTube. And, I mean, if you want to laugh but also can't believe, like it's jaw-dropping, literally. Because yes. Because there's like, there's, if you take a look at the video, the guy on his, over his right shoulder, what he's talking about, The Polished Shaft, the guy's jaws dropped. Now, I want to say something about that. That story, he's just telling a story, okay? It's an innocent story. I heard it growing up. Yeah, he he's, he's, he's using the wrong he's everything. He's doing an analogy, and I won't go into it too much, but the story's supposed to be that there's a twig or a, or a log or something a in the forest, a branch in the forest, and it, you know, didn't, it was there growing, it was fine, and it's kind of like how God will take something like that, cut it down, and then fashion it into an instrument that can be used for God. Okay, right. that was the gist of the story, and it was never told the way he tells His it. His interpretation of it is... Really horrific. Uh, uh, bad. It's terrible. And there's also another one where he was berating the people who are in the high schools and the junior highs. Cause they, they were have, the men. They yeah, were the boys. The boys, because they have a junior high. They have a high school... You know, they have a college, they have everything. Hiles Anderson Junior Junior High, Hiles Anderson High School, and then Hiles Anderson College. Yeah. So he had a row of boys from ages twelve to graduation. Yeah. To graduation. And he was berating the older one for not holding the responsibility of the youngest one and then he was just worked down his way of of just berating him in front of everybody. It was pretty bad, actually, because you just have to see it. Yeah, you have to see it to believe it. <laughs> can't make this up. You can't make this up, folks. You really can't. So yeah, there's a several YouTubes on his preaching. Obviously, most of them are not flattering to him. I used to get tapes, as you know, from Hiles. It was called Hiles Publication. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, after Dr. Jack Hiles passed away, they started sending out the uh, Dr. Jack Scott tapes. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, fine. And I would get one from him and then one from Dr. Hiles. 
after a couple of months, I just couldn't take it any longer. And I can't even tell you why I didn't like Jack Scopp's preaching. Everyone said, oh, he's just like Dr. Hiles. No, not in my opinion. I don't know. I couldn't put my finger on it. I just don't know. Maybe because I didn't have a, what I felt as a personal investment in Dr. Jack Scott. Right. I knew of Dr. Jack Hiles in a certain way. This other man, no. Right. I mean, I would have people telling me, oh, he is just like Hiles. No, he is not. I would bear to differ with you. But, right. hey, that's just my opinion. So I called him up and so please don't send those tapes. Just send me Dr. Hiles tapes. <laughs> Right. And when did the, the house tapes stop coming? Oh, I think the only reason I stopped them was because I had so many and he wasn't preaching anymore. So they were kind of being um, done. done. You know, I've had the same ones. So I finally just said, okay, we're done. And I didn't have a place to put them. I mean, you're talking almost 20 years of tapes. Right. So that's the only reason, basically, why I just had enough. Of course, you still have those tapes, too. I do. Yep. Except the ones from the 1989 year that I lent out, and someone did not return them. Mm. Hopefully they still have them and they can enjoy them. Right. Alrighty, well, on that note, good night, Holly. Good night, Carl.